we um, uh, this past week got the the word that we're going to be able to be putting be able to put down the carpet here in the uh, CE wing of uh, the building out there and uh, one of the things that we've uh, wanted to do is right before that is spend some time writing scripture verses on e- on all the floor and uh, promises and things of, that God says about himself and about us and uh, dedicate that floor so when we're even walking on it we just know hey the word of God is the foundation here of this church and if you want to do that and join us in on that I know this is last minute we knew it was going to be last minute because we just don't know timing of everything but it's happening this week they're laying carpet on Thursday and I think we may even put out an announcement about it um, that it was going to be this Wednesday night we want to change the date and do it Tuesday night um, so if you can make it out on Tuesday night, we're going to be there at, at 6.30. We're going to do that for a little bit, uh, spend some time just writing scripture and praying. But if you haven't seen the new facility, it's also open for that. But we would ask, don't do the tour of the facility until maybe like 7.30, because we do want to spend some time praying. And uh, building will be open till like 8, at, up until 8 o'clock after that, if you want to come and see it. But we're going to spend some time just praying through the, the CE classrooms, writing scripture, those kind of things. Tuesday night, starting at 6.30. We had it on Wednesday night, but Relevant is, is so huge. It's got momentum, and we just didn't want to shut that down. And uh, the more we thought about it, we're like, why do we have to shut it down? So uh, the river will be moved uh, to Tuesday night, our night of prayer, and we'll just do it out there at the new facility. So... Love to see you out there if you can make it. Um, about, uh, man, it's getting a long time ago, 20, I don't know, 22 years ago, is that Moody. And uh, one of the things it required uh, us to do, the music majors, is we had to go observe different churches. Uh, we're going to actually take a step out of Joshua here, talk about uh, kind of music worship, where we're going, vision kind of thing. We're processing this, staff, elders, and uh, felt like that would be a good thing to talk about. So this morning, hence uh, the story here, talking about Moody, the assignment was to go and visit churches and observe styles of worship and how they did things. And uh, uh, it was quite an experience for me. Um, it was the first time in my life I'd ever actually been in a Catholic church. And... Uh, so I came in, this college student went to a Catholic worship service, and uh, oh my goodness, I was lost. People were standing, if you know Catholic church, you've been there, you know, and you can always tell the newbies, right? Because uh, they don't know what they're doing. People are standing and sitting and quoting things and memorizing. I'm like, I'm trying to find this book, and I had like two books open, three books. I'm like, where are they reading from? I can't figure this thing out. And uh, you get this sense, though, of the sacredness. There's a, I don't know, there's something. It was a big cathedral in, uh, in Chicago, and you just get this, you're in there, and you're the majesty, and you see the stained glass, and, and it was a, a different style than I'd <laughs> ever been a part of. And then from there, the, the next week, I went to a vineyard church, um, and I'd never been a part of something like that, and this church was rocking. And it was, I mean, I had whiplash at the end of this thing because I was like, wow, I've never been a part of that. And they were, they were, there was all the sign gifts and speaking in tongues and prophetic and all these things, and I'd never seen any of that. And I mean, I was this kid that went to like this little Mennonite school out in Kansas, so sheltered, and it's like, wow. And, and it was, they were friendly, and it was great and everything, but I was like, wow, this is going to be quite a report. And then I went and... Uh, I visited another church, and this is where um, 
It was, I think, a Presbyterian church, and it was right there about a a mile away from uh, the school. Philip Yancey, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a famous Christian writer, really, really smart dude. That's his church, or was his church at the time. And so I walk into this thing, and, and it's this Presbyterian. It's really cool, and there's just a simple guitar up there and somebody playing a little hand drums. I'm like, all right, this is all right. And then they started talking, and I didn't understand a word they said because they were all smart. And, and, I'm, <laughs> and it hurt. It hurt because they were all like, you could tell they were all like smart people in, the, in there, and I'm like, man, you want to go play soccer? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I felt like I needed to go buy one of those professor coats with the patch and get a pipe or something like that and fit in with the church. And, but it was a way different experience. And then I went to Willow Creek. And Willow Creek was, you know, at that time was about 15,000 people and their auditorium sat about 2,500. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I've never seen church done this way. And it was crazy, all the different styles. And then as uh, God would have it, it had all kinds of, uh, just opportunities to travel and do missions trips and been to Peru and been to a worship service at a church in Peru and that thing went all day and it just it kept going and going these people loved Jesus and were passionate and, and it was just this tiny little church and, and you, you sense they're singing in Spanish and it was like wow you know God's so cool and I remember worshiping in Africa in Guinea Africa with the team when we went over there a couple years ago and we're in this church and it's overflowing and it's way too small, this room, and everybody's sitting on top of each other and we're close and the dancing and the celebration, I had never seen anything like that. And that was awesome and they were into it. Music was just blasting and the whole neighborhood could hear this church service. And, and you're sitting there going, man, these people have nothing and yet they have everything. And I remember traveling with the Moody Corral. We went through all of Europe. So we did Germany, we did uh, Poland, did Yugoslavia before the Civil War, right before the Civil War. I mean, I had no idea. I don't know why my parents let me go. It was right before the Civil War. And I'm like, why did you let me go? And he's like, well, we just, I don't know, we did. Um, Went into Moscow, or actually Kiev, um, and then went on into Moscow. And I remember in Moscow, I'll never forget this, we were at this church, a Baptist church, And uh, I don't remember any instruments up on the stage. Now, maybe there was, but I don't remember. We didn't use any instruments um, in the service. I don't even remember anything. And this building was packed out. It was standing room only. It was about 700 or 800 people there. This wall had just fallen, right? And you look around this room, and, and what registered to me is, I don't think I've ever had to, like, face persecution like this group of Christians has. And they sang, and it was all hymns, and all they had was their hymnals. That's all they had. And they sang. I don't even know if they used them, because most of them had it memorized. They sang four-part harmony, Russian voices singing four-part harmony. It was so loud, it almost hurt my ears. That's how loud that room was and their voices were. And I remember just weeping. I couldn't even, I couldn't even get through the song. And, and most of the choir, I get choked up thinking about it, because most of the choir, we all talked about it afterwards. The presence of God was there. Like, you, you just, it's so hard to de- describe the, the worship it costs them. And they're singing at the top of their voices. These, they're singing hymns that I know in English and they know in Russian. And I'm singing how great their art with them and I just, ugh. And the question today is, is there only one way to worship? Is there only one way? Now, if you, 
you think about it, it's actually a trick question to some degree because it really depends on what question are you asking. Is there only one way to worship as in there are multiple gods, multiple faiths, and they're all equally valid? Then the answer would be no. And that's very clear in scripture. Exodus chapter 20 says this, and let's read this together. Um, This is uh, from the 10 Commandments. It says this, let's read it together. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold guilt who misuses his name. It's a famous passage. There's only one God. And he won't share that worship or that glory. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Famous passage. Uh, let's read this one together. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's the Shema. Jesus reaffirms this in Matthew chapter 22 when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment, first and greatest? And he says this, he quotes this. Biblically speaking, there's only one way to worship if we're talking about God and the exclusivity of him. There's obviously a multiple meanings to this question. Is there only one way to worship when it talks about styles, uh, forms of expression? And it can kind of get tricky here um, because God can use anything and everything that is good as an instrument or a tool or a path for us to worship him. God can even use evil and turn it for good. That's just how powerful he is. So the problem becomes as we begin to worship, though, uh, God, he starts to use these things, and we begin to turn these things that were these moments of sacred encounters with God, and we begin to, to, to think these God's sacred, and these things were used by him, therefore they're sacred, and we begin to worship them, value them. Um, I remember one guy said, we, we are great, we are idol-making factories, we human beings. We are designed to worship, we're created to worship, and we're always trying to figure out how to worship. The problem is, we create a lot of false gods and idols. 
Take for instance, though, as we think about how we do experience even an expression in worship. Uh, one of us could have an experience from our past that, that is this way and another one is this way. Take your church and your form of expression can be all over the place and we begin to worship our form of expression and think it's the most sacred way to worship. You look back in the Old Testament, that happened with Daniel, or David rather, King David. It's this incredible moment. Israel's about ready to dedicate the temple. The Ark of the Covenant is coming up and it's this famous story where King David, King David is before the Ark and he's worshiping God. And there's arguments as to whether he had stripped off his royal clothes. That was clear, but whether he had left his underwear on, and some people said he, whether he was naked. I, I think it's, he, was, he had down to his underwear, and he was dancing all over the place, worshiping God, consumed with making sure that God saw his heart and God was honored all the way. And of course, his wife, who was incredibly bitter, and that's a whole other story, but very bitter, looks at him and despises his worship, it says in 2 Samuel. Despises it. And David goes on to give uh, uh, this lesson and says, I will be even more undignified in this before my God. And there's something to this idea that we start to hold on to our forms of expression we laugh at somebody else. We judge somebody else. We're too proud. We're too whatever. Some people are weird. Some people are strange. Some people don't stand. Some people do stand. Some people whatever. Fill in the blank, right? Is there only one way to worship? No. When it comes to expressions and forms and props, no. Pews, chairs, carpet, no carpet, paint color, dedicated sanctuary space, sanctuary space, multi-purpose room. Um, and some of you are thinking, Christians fight over this? Like, why? It's so dumb. Why do people fight over this? Just wait. Just you wait, because God's gonna do stuff in your life. He's gonna use things in your life, and then somebody's gonna come along and change it on you. Or he's gonna come along and challenge you on it, and then you're gonna feel exactly what the church has felt for thousands of years. It's a normal experience. There's something about God moving in places and using things. It's not bad. Music. We're in the middle of this one. Um, I remember back at Moody, uh, they brought in this guy who talked about how rock music was satanic and because it uses, emphasizes beat two and four. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I can't believe they're bringing this guy in. Only because all the music majors are there going, so we get rid of Handel's Messiah, which I think uses beat two and four a lot, and we get rid of any, you know, you start going down that line and everything, you throw out everything, it's an illogical argument, but you have this idea of no, our music style is the most sacred style, and, and people who would fight, I mean, 
for their particular style. It's so funny if, you know, say if say it's the hymn war, the worship war, and, and I've heard people say hymns were what the church was doing. Well, if we were really doing what the church was doing, we'd do it stylistically like the church was doing, which was Middle Eastern. And the church has evolved in music styles way beyond the Middle Eastern style, which is ironic because people would still claim, oh, we're doing hymns. It's like, oh, come on, it's just, it's changed. It's changed so much from Middle Eastern to the Baroque, to the Romantic, to the Classical, to the, uh, what else? I, I don't know. You go on into modern and then postmodern and it all changes. Styles change. And there's, fights over styles, each one saying theirs is more sacred than the other. I remember a Glad, that music uh, group called Glad, and they did that one song. You guys ever remember that hymn? Um, it was a hymn, actually a bar tune. And they said, this is where this tune came from, back in England. And it was like, I once had a girl and her name was Matilda. That's the song. And then we turned it into, we praise thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. Well, <laughs> if you came out of the bar, the reason they wrote that song back then in the day is because, hey, people knew the, song, knew the tune, let's put some new words to it, and we're good. And so Glad went on to talk about how it's changed, and so they did like a, they did a Beach Boys style of that song, and... They did the round, round, get around, round, get around, And then they started singing this song, We Praise You, O God, with Beef Boys. And then they did it with, I don't know, they did it with all kinds of different styles. But the point of it was there was no style that was sacred. There wasn't one way to sing that song. So is there a one way? On that, no. Is there one way to worship, though, here's another way to say this. Is there one way to worship when it comes to forms and styles? And I would say yes, if you're talking about attitude. Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, he says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Came nothing, given up everything thinking of us. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. The church was having a, a fight over worship styles and what they do during worship and, and people were talking about their rights. Well, I have a right to do this. I have a right to have it my way. And Paul is saying long before Burger King was ever around. You don't get it your way. You give up your rights. The mantra of the church is I'm, I'm a Christ follower and Christ gave up his rights for his full expression of deity and to be in heaven so that he could come and save us. And as Christ followers, we say we're like Christ. We give up our rights church was fighting for it, fighting for their rights. You could talk to the 30 or so families, probably a little bit less, that were here back in the 90s when this church went through the worship wars. And, and maybe some of you have come from other churches where this happened, fighting over styles. 
And uh, I just remember when Joe and I were here, the people that were left were just saying, that will never happen again on our watch. We won't do that. We will prefer the rights of others as a church. That will be the DNA of this church. We will diminish for the sake of others. That's going to be the heartbeat of this church. Christ in us. But it's not just about our rights, giving them up for brothers and sisters. It's also about our rights and giving them up for those who don't know Christ. Up on the screen is a passage out of 1 Corinthians 9, this whole struggle with rights. And Paul says, look, I've got rights, but I'm free from all. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of God, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save son. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul expands it beyond just the body and says, wait a minute, we gotta give up our rights so that we may by all possible means win some and reach some. Our denomination was founded with this guy named A.B. Simpson who never wanted to found a denomination to begin with. He just wanted to get a group of Christians together and reach this world. He was a pastor in a mainline church and he was over in New York City and all these immigrants were coming in in the late 1800s and he saw them and, and said, who's gonna reach them? We're gonna reach them. So he brings them in and that was a time where they rented pews and so your family would have a guaranteed spot and that was also a time when they didn't have forced air heating or radiant heating and so you would get this little tiny pot of coals and they would heat up the coals for you and you'd put it in your little pew box and you'd all huddle around that while the pastor's speaking because the room was cold in the winter. And so you paid, you rented, you tithed to get your pew. Now what happened was he brought all these immigrants in and they didn't know about this thing and they're just taking any seat that's available and it messed everybody up. And they started getting mad because people were sitting in their pew. People were sitting in their box, taking their heat. <laughs> and they didn't like it, speaking a different language. And then A.B. Simpson started writing songs stylistically that were the popular music, that was the popular music of the time. And he said, he wrote this, he was famous for this, popular music is the heart of the people. So we are gonna write songs with the popular music style of the day because that's where the lost is. And the church hated it. The church resisted it. And so he left, went and started his own church and he reached the lost, famously led people to the Lord. Our church has that as its DNA. That's our denomination. That's the, I don't know how to say it, but it's the fabric of this church. It's a deeply held philosophy that we guard. Our style of music will forever be a tool to reach more.
It will always be that. And it's gonna change. I've led worship for 20 years. Uh, Music, I should say, I've led music within our worship services. 20 years ago versus now, it has changed. It's changed a lot. And, and it has to do with our culture as much as it does with the music. Culture is postmodern, and actually, you get into major urban areas, it's post-Christian. You're getting first-generation and second-generation Americans who have no idea who Jesus is. Don't own a Bible, never read a Bible. It's not necessarily reached here totally. This is a highly churched area, so it's going to take a bit longer, maybe another generation. So people don't care about truth. They want experience. I mean, I just remember everything was stripped down growing up. My worship services, it was just kind of a piano, and we'd sing along, and you know, the churches I was a part of, and things are gonna be different. People want an experience out there. Okay, we're gonna do that. That's no big deal. As we move forward, this new room, the lights are gonna be dimmer. Music's gonna be louder. It's not gonna be as loud as a couple weeks ago, just so you know. The leadership, worship team, I want you to know all of us are in agreement that that was too loud. That was concert level. And uh, we told him coming in that we just want what you do. Give us what you do. Because we didn't wanna have on the back end if that thing actually worked out, him being frustrated if we asked him to turn down the volume. Um, We wanted what he does, so we just had no strings attached on this thing and so that's what he does and to his credit he said look I can turn this down I said do you do what you do (laughs) Um, so he did what he did but I think he would have turned it down even had a problem with it but when we get in a new building it's going to be louder it's going to be a better system than this one Um, it's not going to be as loud as what you heard the other night but that's part of it there's going to be lights there may even be smoke because it picks up the lights better. Um, you, you know, when you... <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. When you walk with Christ longer and longer and longer, you need less and less and less. You just do. I mean, just give me a Bible and some Christians in a room and we'll worship Jesus. We can get there. We don't need anything. But this world, this world does. This world doesn't get it all the way. And so if these help, hallelujah. I'm like, if if smoke helps somebody find the Lord, we're not gonna light up, but we'll we'll do the... the, (laughs) But that's Paul, he's saying, he's saying, may I become all things to all people so that I might by all means win a few. That's us. That's our heartbeat. And so it's just, we're not gonna die over some of these things that'll come and go. And pretty soon, one day, some guy will come along and say, why'd they ever do smoke and take it out? And it'll change again. It'll change again. And here's the thing. Those of you who are the builders, 
You lived through World War II, the Depression. You lived through the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And those of you who were part of that generation in this church, we've seen you choose to diminish. My generation forced it and, and required it of you. The boomers, you've had to fight through this and choose whether you're going to diminish. The real test is the guys and the men and the women in their 30s and their 40s. You've never had to give up your style of worship, but it's coming. And the real question is, will you diminish? Will you follow the legacy of the previous generations and choose to reach this world and choose to give up your rights for your brother and sister? That's gonna be the real test. You know, I've led this for 20 years, the music style, and, and I know I'm not the guy to lead the next 10, 15 years. I'm not. I just, I don't want to. <laughs> I know I have to diminish. I know I have to make room for the next generation. And I'm okay with that. I was brought into two different churches to change things, and I've been there, done that, and now I'll be on the other side of it, letting somebody else lead. And being like some of the generation before me who, who were the ones that breathed wind into my sails. There's nothing like that. Having someone who's coming along who's older, mature, who just says, oh, that's so good. You're worshiping. We're so glad. We're seeing you reach this next generation. Oh, there's nothing like hearing that from the generation before you. And may that be our church. Some of, some of you, quite a few of you have actually said, hey, what's the vision, you know? I've mentioned a little bit just stylistically, but I do wanna just say this as a leadership team. What's our vision? Our vision takes style piece out of it. Our vision at its heartbeat is more of the same though. More of the Holy Spirit. More of his presence in this church. More of us centered on him. It's just more of the same. We're not changing that. We're not. And I think there is some hesitation and maybe even some like, uh, you know, apprehension about, wow, we're changing this and how's it gonna be? And, and I just wanna say, guys, the, the vision I have, the vision I have for what God is gonna do here is so much greater than what we're currently doing. It really is. I mean, have you, have you seen God recently? Have you like touched God recently? You have big he is, how awesome he is. His vision for us isn't like, okay, they got to this point, we're just gonna kinda let it fall apart. We're gonna let it be just mediocre. No, God has a vision for us, guys. It is a vision for his presence to come in powerful ways and not just reach this neighborhood, but to become more and more this regional church that pours out his presence. There's a vision to take what God is doing here to see it expand, to plant churches, to see this infiltrate everywhere. I'm tired of hearing people say, wow, I've never been to a church where we don't experience the presence of God. I'm like, I'm tired of that. This culture needs it. Our nation needs it. Our world needs it. 
So I'm more excited about what God is gonna do in the next three to five years than I have been the last 13 because I think he is going to blow the doors off this place. And this is a piece of it. It's gonna be a good thing. Final thought is this. And we're gonna spend some time doing this. Um, here at the end of the service. What is worship? It's not a hard question. You see it up on the screen, I think. I don't know if I was smart enough. Yeah, I put it up there. Worship, to give praise, honor, glory, thanksgiving, or love. Deuteronomy 6 is the bedrock of uh, faith and worship. Is Daniel here? Daniel, did I see you here? Can you say this in Hebrew? How old is that? Worship roots us in uh, eternity where time doesn't pass like that. It says, I am the Lord your God. You will not make any other gods, false idols, or images made to look like mortal man or birds and animals or reptiles. Do not worship them nor bow down yourself to them. Anybody ever memorized the Ten Commandments? Maybe back when you were a kid. I remember doing that. And then how God does it so often, something you think you know and then he reveals it to you and you realize you don't know. This last week as I was preparing it, I just came across that, I'm like, oh, all the false gods, forever making false gods. Taking even good things and worshiping them, things God has used. Let me ask you something, are you in your lifestyle, not just this morning, in your lifestyle worshiping God. You giving your best to God. Is, is God first like this? Or is it your spouse? We're, we're supposed to love our spouse, but God, kids, girlfriend, boyfriend, Work, hobbies. There's only one way to worship God. 
all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And if you're being convicted like I was this past week and just going, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, there's that moment of conviction where you hang your head, right? Like, hanging their head is such an interesting thing. You hang it because it's broken. It's, uh, it's not proud. Bows, guilt, conviction. And there's this moment, that opportunity where we have to say, you're right. I'm so sorry. And I accept your forgiveness. We don't have to ask him, will you forgive us? I love that. He just says, I forgive you. So we accept it. And there's this verse that says in the Bible, God is the lifter of our head. Isn't that cool? Like when we confess and we're forgiven, that's not the posture. He comes along and I think he is, I just see his hand just kind of going, no, raise your head. Lift your head. Not in arrogance or pride, but in worship. Let's worship him. Invite the team to come up.